Hi, this is Wendy Whalen. Thank you for joining us on New Combinations. Andrea. Hello. Hi. Hi. It's so good to see you. It's so good to see you, Wendy. Yeah. I did do a tiny bit of research and I had a hard time finding out where you're from. Are you from Utah? I was born in Utah, in Salt Lake City, Utah. That like totally surprised me. I had no (laughs) idea of that. I kind of just wanted to get a a little bit of your roots as we guide our conversation into your creative mind and your artistry. So like, how did you start dancing? Oh, okay. (laughs) Well, Utah actually, Utah has an amazing uh, dance community. Mm-hmm. I think because there's so many kids, um, there's just a lot, a lot of kids and the girls, they, they go to dance class. <laughs> and I was taking um, some ballet classes and I was taking another, uh, other class, modern classes at a school that was called Virginia Tanner. And she was a um, incredible pioneer in children's education and creativity was a big part of her vision. And so we didn't just, I mean, we, we, we learned um, dance, but we also built our, this, the scenic design of the pieces we performed in. And we wrote the stories of the, of the pieces that we created. We, we created movement. So ever since I started there, which was when I was three, it was always a, a creative process alongside a lot of dancing. And I actually danced in the Nutcracker at Ballet West. It's amazing. I'm listening to this and I started at age three um, and my teacher's name was Virginia as well. And we did a lot of improvisation too. So, and then I danced in the Nutcracker at the Little Ballet. So we kind of maybe had our own little start that was similar. Maybe yeah. that's why I'm drawn to you. Maybe yeah. deep down I just knew we were soul sisters somehow. Kindred spirits. I'm drawn. <laughs> there we go. So when did you, when did you start to focus less on ballet, or did that did that just did that stop? Did you start yeah. focusing on more contemporary and modern dance as as you grew up? And when when did that start? And how did yeah? That- it stopped pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> it stopped pretty soon. I remember that um, uh, they we weren't allowed to talk in the classes. And I found that to be really challenging. Um, and in the in the modern dance classes, because part of it was the dance part, but the other part was like, let's write a story. Like who wants to write the first sentence and do a dance sentence? And so we were, it was much more kind of conversational. And I, and I felt that was more in line with kind of my, my spirit at the time. So, um, so that I, 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 I pretty much quickly moved into just training in modern dance. And then I moved to Connecticut when I was nine and trained in also a pioneer of modern dance, uh, Ernestine Sodell, who was a dancer with Doris Humphrey. And so I just trained in Humphrey and Weidman technique from the thirties, forties and fifties. And at that time, those dancers felt like you couldn't come, you couldn't do ballet if you did modern. And I'm sure it maybe went the same way the other way. My teacher, Ernestine, who was 80 years old at the time, refused for me to take ballet. I had to tell her I was like going to the dentist if I was kind of trying to sneak in a class here and there, which I did because I actually, I really did love it. So I was trying to sneak in New Haven ballet classes wherever I could. 
what's Humphrey like? I don't know much about that style of modern dance or, or and or Weidman. What, how can you, I mean, cause we, I spoke with um, some of the Ailey dancers about Horton and they said, oh, it goes really well with ballet. It yeah. just, it can, ballet dancers connect with Horton easily. Yes. Yeah. Tell me the, tell me a little bit about that style of modern dance. Um, it's the predecessor to Limon. Limon trained and performed in Doris Humphrey's um, company. And she was the artistic director of his company for a while. And it's a lot about uh, her theory was um, fall and recovery, that everything that drops will rise and everything that rises will eventually drop. And the breath is a big part of it. And she was also a big humanist. And so um, very integral to the choice of movements was the sort of this uh, activism, this social political activism um, as a woman, as uh, someone who was sensitive to the times around her. And so, um, she was, you know, she was kind of contemporary with Martha Graham. So she had her fall and recovery and Graham had her contract and release. And, and so they were kind of had these, these dance theories that were happening. And I think that Doris wasn't as interested in more of like the, the mythological areas that, that uh, Graham went into. I think she was more based in the moment, the times. And then Charles Weidman was, who was kind of her like, her friend and collaborator and also a chore choreographer and they sort of shared their process. He was a humorist. He was super funny. He had a great sense of humor and his, his pieces were like, I don't know, very unusual. So I, I feel like I'm one of very few people. There was only two other people in my school and they were twins. <laughs> so it was the three of us. Do they choreograph now? Are you, uh, the, you're the, pro the product progeny? Or is that the word? <laughs> Both of them kind of danced for a long time. I think one is still conti continuing to dance and she's beautiful. She um, danced with uh, Liz Gehring, Liz Gehring for a while. Yeah. And I mean, she's, they're both gorgeous dancers. Um, and I, I was more in the direction of wanting to choreograph. I kind of wanted to be like, a Doris Humphrey. <laughs> you liked writing those stories from age three on, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. So uh, you got yourself into Juilliard. Yes. Yeah, and and you you had some amazing teachers and masters there. And, and did you start choreographing there to get so your first taste? Yeah, that was a very um, surprising thing. Um, my mother's she's an accomplished musician and singer and pianist and but accomplished in the sense that not like professionally accomplished but like she's so talented but her dad was like that's not a profession and so she became a um a physician and i think she really supported me as a dancer but she also has something like similar in her that that worried her that dance wasn't really a profession and so I went to a school like a high school that had no no dance program or had no was not a, it was a it was an academic school and I kind of tried to go as much as I could to other dance classes in the area and so I really applied to mostly almost academic universities and Juilliard was really the only place that I said if I can get into Juilliard then 
this dance thing is maybe a reality for me, which is a total flawed logic. And I completely do not promote that as, as, as real, because I think there's so many ways to explore becoming a dance artist. But for me, I just felt the pressure that if I, if I couldn't make it to Juilliard, then maybe I should think about something else. And so I think I, I got in and it was really, it felt miraculous considering I had so little ballet, but Benjamin Harkavy, who was the director at the time was such a visionary and, and he saw something and I had a great teachers while I was there and I had to catch up on a lot because I was behind. A lot of the students came from performing arts high schools. In your experience, do you find that women choreographers in contemporary and modern are, are just much more out there than, I mean, and available and working than in ballet? Because, I mean, ballet choreographers for women, it's just there are there have always been less of them doing ballet choreography. But in your field, there's always been a lot of female choreographers. Am I, am I wrong in thinking that? Or yeah. is it more and more? You know, I think it's something that really deserves a lot of study and I'm sure people have, and I'm, I'm, I would like to understand more why in ballet there's less women choreographing. I mean, I notice when I get to the studio that, I mean, and this is not necessarily at New York City Ballet, actually, this is not at New York City Ballet, but other ballet companies that I've gone to, the man kind of like moves the woman around is like, go here and do, and they just like take their arms and move them around. And, and, and the woman ballet dancer is sort of just like adjusts and agrees to what's needed. And, and I think that the, the, the role of, you know, being partnered or, and I don't know if that's, there's just lots of things that build this mentality that you're sort of like the muse or the clay that the clay, is being yeah. modeled by some other kind of hand, whether it's the dancer, your partner, or but and and I think this is cartoonish. Like I'm, I know that this isn't everywhere and anything, but it's more than my experience in the modern dance studio. I can say, and so it's just just seeing the difference. And I think there's the the material that happens in modern dance is potentially more not gender specific you know it's not this is like a like the man is going to do this and the woman is going to do this and it really makes sense because they have different builds and it and it's easier if it happens in this gender sort of combination i think by feeling that the roles are more equal maybe as a dancer you feel that it would make more sense also that you would also contribute equally creatively as a young dancer so interesting, such a different way of approaching work in a studio within, with a mindset of a technique and a style. The women are in ballet are always on point and trying to be light and giving into the lifts and the men are coming from underneath and lifting and, and like you said, maneuvering like the clay. So I do, I, I do believe that's part of the conundrum of the female ballet choreographer that there are less because I think that is part of the play in there. I've really enjoyed seeing actually some really strong women at New York City Ballet who, who I feel, you know, are probably coming from their experience of watching, you know, women like you, inspirations like you, that they are collaborators with their partners. They are collaborators with the cr creative in the room. And so that has been very, like, very exciting and inspiring for me to see. I think it's growing. It's just, it's just still a little bit 
different and for, and, um, and for each dancer, it's different just to approach the ground in a different way for ballet, ballet dancers. Yeah. Um, so then, can I just get, get a little insight on your experience with Ohad Naharin and Batsheva and, and what that um, brought to you as a dancer, as an artist and creator? What was that like? So I met Ohad while I was at Juilliard. He was coming to stage a piece. And actually, a lot of people didn't know who he was at that time. I remember, you know, we saw the posting on the on the schedule and everyone was like, who's who's Ohad? And there was one dancer who was like, he's amazing. You have like only only one person. So we all sort of did this research. I'm sure he was really big already, but I just feel that a lot of us you know, we came from the bubble of where we were studying in high school. And, and I think going to college, and especially for me, going to Juilliard was a moment of having an expanded global understanding of, of dance in the world. It wasn't like now where you could see YouTube videos of everything you wanted to see. Like if you wanted to see something, you had to go to the New York Performing Arts Library. And I, it was a, a, like a, a different kind of way of exposing yourself. So he came and for me, actually, at that time, Juilliard, I was struggling a little bit because I felt that um, there was just a, so much to focus on in terms of technique that a lot of the things that inspired me about my training in Humphrey and my training when I was little was this other thing that motivates you to dance, like this, like, the ideas, the feelings, the inspiration behind it. And so I was feeling a little depleted. And I, I did notice that when Ohad came, all of a sudden my, my history of why I loved dancing and my training previously was really reignited. And it seemed very similar to a lot of the ways of that I had been training before. You know, thinking about what is the texture of what you're feeling and what is you know, um, how can you change your texture using your imagination? And I felt very connected. His company was performing uh, at the time and he needed like more dancers and uh, to fill in um, the space. I guess they didn't bring enough or maybe there were injuries. So he, he took me and four others to perform with his company while I was a second year at Juilliard, very young, young dancer we had a connection immediately that there was this way of dancing that was really about bringing your artistry in from the beginning and not slapping it on after you figure out technically how to do something. And that was just, that was great. And so I auditioned after I graduated and I got in and, and went to, well, I got into the ensemble and stayed there for two years. I have been wanting to choreograph since I was 11 and had been choreographing pretty much since then. So going to Bacheva for me was a big learning experience of what it is to look at a living choreographer and how do they work and how does a company work? And I'd never seen that before. And Ohad, he created Gaga. And is that his mode of dance style design? That's, that's what he is and that's what he does. Is that correct? Yeah, well, at the time that I went there, Gaga was still very, very new. He was just about two years into researching it. He kind of started with his his administration, like his staff, non-dancers. Um, and it also came from his own uh, process with an injury in his back. 
is that at least that's what he said. And so we had Gaga a few days a week with him and otherwise we had ballet. And then by the time I left, it was like one day of ballet and all Gaga with him. <laughs> and yeah, it was really exciting to see him codify this language from the first year that felt like we were just exploring what does floating even mean? And we could do that for 20 minutes. And then in later years, it was like, this is what floating it. Like you get there and arrive there, you can snap into it because there was so much research that the codification allowed you to just sort of jump in to like a tondu or something, something similar, float. Okay, float. I know what that is. So it's wild. It was just wild uh, to watch. And I don't know if he would say he is Gaga, but from the my- movie, The movie says he is Mr. Gaga. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. There's a great documentary on his, on him and his process of Gaga called Mr. Gaga. Yeah. Yeah. Can you explain to us novices who don't study Gaga, like what's the practice like? It's very alternative to ballet. <laughs> yeah. Right. But it's totally transferable. Um, and that's something that for me who had experienced taking modern dance classes, in Humphrey and saying, you know, the teacher saying, no, you can't take ballet. You're going to corrupt your, your modern dance body with this information. And, and this is like, this is really um, a huge, huge loss uh, for all of us to not understand the value and the opportunity in classical training and also how it could maybe speak with alongside this kind of uh, information that's coming from Gaga and other modalities, um, Elon Lev method or things like Buto and just, just brilliant longstanding research in movement expression that I think have so much to give. So I, to describe Gaga, I mean, I, I'm not really, like it's been a long time since I was part of the Gaga world. I've integrated it into my practice in my own way. And my own practice has become sort of its own thing, even though it's certainly inspired by Gaga. But I would describe Gaga as a way to access your body through as many channels as you can imagine, whether it is muscular, skeletal, nervous, imagination, fantasy, emotional, kinetic momentum and coordination like it's it's saying that there's like roads to Rome and they're kind of infinite and if you just keep taking the same road you'll see the same trees in the same places but if you expand the way you try to arrive to your body or arrive to making movement begin in your body what if you began from just feeling like sunlight on your face. And then you allowed that to influence how you would move. Or if you really just thought from your bones or, if, you know, like it's, it's basically a very creative way of learning about how to engage with your body. So it comes from prompts kind of. Yeah. Prompts that that he would give or that you would give yourself or is it that open or well it's changed so much since I've been there but when I was there 
it came from prompts that he would give and he would he would sort of begin to sort of codify different areas that were fundamental to his his practice and to what he thought was going to support mobility strength um physicality so their prompts are both like things that don't have anything to do with reality like move like spaghetti in boiling water you know like get jostled like that or and then some things that do have very clear basis in anatomy and reality and you follow those prompts but I don't think you're just waiting for him to like tell you what to do you really have to kind of take those prompts in and be curious about them and see how you can your curiosity goes deeper and deeper into into changing your body so how do you process in the studio with with your background I know you've worked with a, a few ballet companies in the past not a ton am I correct so yeah. so you've got a different animal in front of you in our studios <laughs> to say the very least um, and you have this very strong intelligence in your own right as, as a mover and as a thinker and a creator so how do you how do you mesh the two and how are you informing our dancers and opening them up? Yeah. Well, I think that I w- was given a really special opportunity to take. I mean, I maybe I didn't have to take it this way, but I just felt that there was enough time to take three days to just workshop together. I find that to be very, it freaks me out to do it because I know that it would probably be really smart to just day one, start choreographing and make steps and, you know, but I ultimately feel that investing in those three days, it transcends the rest of the process. It gives us a common language and an understanding of the values that I'm focusing on and the way that we're going to work together and the risks we're going to take and the vulnerability that we're going to experience. And so I took three days to sort of do some warming up kind of uh, classes in my language. Um, and then I, I, we spent most of the time in my method of creative generation and how emotions and fantasy and um, especially our drive to want to dance where how to explore that because I find it impossible to uh, do anything if you don't want to and so building that muscle of figuring out like why do I want to dance and where does that come from and knowing how to access it is something that I think it's very important for for the, the dancers and I to be in tune with. Tell me about your music, how you, how you go about music, why you chose the composer that you chose to work with. She, she, I like to say that word, she, your composer, because we rarely have female composers. And uh, you chose a Canadian Colombian composer named Lido Pimienta, who is, is she considered a pop star? Yeah. Tell me about her and the music that you, that you, you guys are working together on. Yes. So the fashion gala, the focus is also the designer. And I really wanted to explore working with a South American uh, designer. My family, my husband is Colombian. My children are now Colombian and it's become part of my life and my 
my world. And it's very important for me to, to have a strong tie there. My mother's from Spain and I always felt like there was this weird distance between my Spanish life and my American life. And anytime that, that it got integrated, it was really important. It was very special. So um, I thought this could be a great opportunity for me to combine my, my personal and my professional path. And so Columbia was on my mind, of course, for a designer. And at the same time, I thought, well, this could be an amazing opportunity to also work with a Colombian music artist. I was put in, a in touch with her through my friend Barbara Frum, and she immediately loved the idea. She's a Grammy nominee music artist, a pop artist. She said that she considers herself like the Enya of South America because <laughs> her music, while it's pop, it's also very, it's, it's popular, but it's also has this like mysticism in it and this like ancient it just is roots, I guess, that she brings. I mean, you cannot take Lido out of where she, Barranquilla, where she's from in, in Colombia. You, you can't take her out of it. I mean, she's so, her, she basically can do anything with her voice, but you just always really feel that her roots are there too. That's Lido. And she said yes. And it blew my mind. And she's going to perform live in each of these performances that we're having of your piece. Yes. Correct. She's live on stage. Yes. Which is insane because, you know, she can fill, she's coming in November to terminal five, you know, which is like a, which a huge venue with huge music artists and just by herself, you know, microphone and her and obviously her amazing band. It's just very exciting that we have her all to ourselves for these performances. Is her band going to be with her too, or just the orchestra? And she, she's writing the music for the orchestra. She's writing the music for the orchestra. It's her first time writing for a 60 piece orchestra. And she did a beautiful job. Like she's, she's really a genius. I think she did an incredible job. The music is so exciting. Um, I think she might be the first woman of color to write for the New York City Ballet Orchestra. I'm pretty sure as well. So that's really exciting. I've heard a little bit of the music and I love what I've heard. I haven't heard the whole thing yet. So uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing it and meeting her as well. Tell us also about your designer that you chose. Yes. Your costume designer, fashion designer. Yeah. Esteban Cortazar is his name. He is... I've already said this on this call, so I'm not overusing these words. It just happens that the two people I'm working with are brilliant, genius artists. Um, Esteban is from Colombia. He's been Paris-based since he was like 17. His family in Colombia are a lot in Cartagena and, and also in Miami. And um, he basically came out at the age of 17 as the youngest person to ever have a fashion show at uh, New York Fashion Week and immediately was picked up by Ungro as the creative director. He has his own label now and he just does things that are so intuitive for him and look so effortless, but they are really like they're radical at the same time as totally comfortable. You're wearing something when you wear his pieces that feel 
bold and and bright but at the same time there's a subtlety and a softness and a femininity and i just i don't know how you do that so easily but he does every time there's a latin quality in your in the costumes is that him or you or both? I mean, this is, I haven't seen much. I've seen the design and then I've seen a little bit in the costume shop, but I, I love that sort of flamenco-y kind of ruffle that kind of comes down and around and yeah. I'm here to see more of, and the colors are very beautiful colors. Yeah. It's like they're, they're happy colors. Very happy colors. <laughs> yeah. He's now sort of full-time living in Ibiza which is in Spain. So it's interesting because my Spanish story and my Colombian story are now being a little bit combined, bridged through him and his work. So he is definitely, he said, I think there's a bit of Ibiza in, in, in these designs. They have a lot of color. I, he was telling me that he didn't feel like it was a time after this, this like horrible year to be drab or dry and I said, you know, go for it. So you have a pretty big cast in your ballet. I want to ask, are you calling it a ballet? I have been. Yeah. I kind of love saying that, actually. Tell, tell me a little bit about it and how it's developed in you and how it's coming out and how you think it's blossoming and if it's what you imagined originally. Yes. I had this image of a large cast and I imagined we would probably knowing Esteban's designs that maybe we would be working in dresses but this is before I actually knew like where he'd want to go so but I just imagine all these women and maybe even you know just people in dresses and that the movement would be voluptuous and sensual and also vulnerable and so those, that's like all I had in me. I think it was because I was really responding to this time that felt very cold and isolated and thinking of heat, of body heat, of being able to dance sensually and uh, be close to each other seemed really, really like appealing, like necessary. I think the piece has evolved from that because that was just really just early. I don't know. Maybe that's where it will go. The music is so dynamic and actually Lido had a story that came with the, the music. She, she took some watercolors and she wrote a story about a seed that fell in love with a cloud. And, you know, they're from, they're from such different worlds. It's almost impossible for the seed to be with the cloud or the cloud to be with the seed. Yet they communicate because they feed each other, right? Exactly. Yeah. Totally. And so I took that as a, as a really beautiful story. And actually her watercolors, they reminded me of uh, Chagall paintings. You know, he's a Jewish artist and there's not many like renowned Jewish artists. And I'm sure, I mean, there are, but I didn't grow up knowing about them as much. And I remember Chagall made me feel very proud I just loved his work. And so I just started diving into looking at the Chagall paintings and the sort of symbolism and it's like magical realism, which actually is very Colombian. So there's something that makes sense about it, but there's something that also doesn't make sense. And you let yourself 
be released from logic and just get to go with what's happening and what makes sense in the moment. And so that's kind of what it became. It is a story between a seed and a cloud, a love story. Taylor Stanley's the seed and Sarah Mearns is the cloud. I don't know if I can say that. Can oh I? yeah. Okay, sure. great. <laughs> but the full piece is about more like natural elements. People are grass blowing in the wind. People are storm knocking through space or sunlight. So it's, it has this elemental kind of uh, feeling with moments that feel very human too. And in that process, you have inspired the dancers to bring ideas your way, which is not always our way. So how's that been? I know it's been a bit of a challenge because the dancers don't usually do that, but I think it's a great exercise for the dancers that are, are into it. And even the ones that aren't, it's, it's, a, it's an opener and an educator and you know, people will grow from it no matter what. But I know it was not the typical way for us. So tell me about the process of having the dancers come up with ideas for movement and or inspiring what comes next or, right. I mean, cause that's usually, we, you know, in the ballet vernacular, a white man comes in and tells the dancers what to do. And this is very, very different. So yeah, just tell us a little bit about this very different way. Yeah. Well, there's many different kinds of prompts and relationships to that question around creativity. I feel like there's these silos that, you know, you can see, oh, that's a moment of improvisation and they're improvising. And that's a moment where they're, they're doing choreography. And I really think there's like thousands of more shades in that, where it's like, okay, you can be doing choreography and it is almost like um, pitch perfect, scientific, methodically done as choreography. And then you can also do the same choreography, but let yourself explore while you're still doing those movements and explore different timing or different like palma or you know just like it just can become this like this roller coaster that even though you're on the roller coaster of the of the choreography inside it you're still artistically and creatively engaged then there's the the choreography just as a score and it's kind of like just make sure to touch on these moments and then fill in the dots between it, you know? Then you have like this full on improvisation. Um, there's just a million different ways of being involved in what you're doing in the stage. And it completely changes the experience for the audience and for the dancer of like what they're watching or what's happening. So it's really not black and white that like, they're making material or I'm making material or they're improvising or I'm, it's like, there's just a lot of different conversation about what's important now that we're all together and that we're like precise. Let's do the choreography as is on these musics. You're not getting sort of creative. Like that's enough of a challenge to just do that. And then in other spaces, I'm asking them to pull out what is happening to them internally and add that to the choreography. And then in other moments, like you described, I actually said, I, I need something to like 
be, I need it to go really high and then really low. Try something, you know, try a lift that really like touches a peak and then all of a sudden it drops and explore what that looks like. And we do this thing called um, uh, blind solos where you close your eyes and your partner's eyes are open. And as a person who's blind, you make a solo and the person who can see is lifting you while you're doing that. And that that's, has been that's an exercise. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone loves it. Yeah. Everyone it's loves it. It's kind of terrifying at the same time when you're a ballet dancer and obsessed with control. <laughs> yeah, I would say not right? everyone loves it. I would say not everyone loves it, but a lot of people have really felt a lot of liberation in it, but it does make a lot of people nervous too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I do, I do think and wonder that coming out of COVID, just the dancer's mentality, it has been really interesting in what they need and, and what they're grappling for and what they're fearful of. And it seems to me that they wanna go back to the basics and where they're safe, because we've been coming from such a time that's so not safe. And that, that has surprised me. And I've learned that they you know, are very like, oh, oh we just wanna like Tondu again. But um, I do think that this exercise has been a huge learning experience for, for everybody. And I hope that for both you and the dancers and the audience, it will be um, a liberating thing for the art form, which I'm kind of really excited about seeing. Even though it's not comfortable, you know, because you're such different voice worlds coming together, like the cloud and the, and the seed, I do expect and, and I'm excited about um, the conversation that's going to be had between these two elements. I know that we're all in a new, a brave new world. The dancers having to take on as their very first thing that they're doing when they're back, a very new kind of process, new physicality, new expectations or new, new demands. And I'm also in a really new world. I'm not understanding a lot of like where they might be coming from. Cause many times I, I work with my company. And so I kind of get a sense of where we are, what's going on, how people are feeling. And so it's been, it's been an interesting process. And I think that we've slowly over time have figured out that if we stay connected and in, in communication with each other, we're going to be all better for it. And I feel people are starting to, to really trust that as, as something that we, we can do. Yeah. We can talk about the things that are, that make it feel concerning or worrisome or have emotional impact. And we can have that relationship and in the, in the small time we have, it's enough. It's so interesting that, that this kind of style really touches on so much, uh, so much sensory and so much emotion, which is very different for for ballet dancers, we, we don't really dig in and, and pull out and, and go to that place. So it's a vulnerable new world too. But I look back on, on my own dancing days and you know working with like Forsyth in the studio or Twyla Tharp in the studio and leaving the studio thinking, this is like trying to learn Chinese. Like <laughs> I have no idea how to approach this vocabulary and it is scary and frustrating and I wanted to cry but at the same time I grew more than I ever would have imagined 
from just trying to tackle that unknown world of ideas. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's a time to grow and it's a time, it's a time to, to try things and to jump. But at the same time, it's also, it's like, whoa, we're dancing again. And who am I as a dancer? And then that's just by nature, just from coming back from COVID itself, I think, which is fascinating to kind of feel in the artist. I really commend you and the dancers and everyone um, for what I think is believing in, in process, that all good things will come through process. And that, that's never a simple thing and it's never going to be easy and it's never going to be like a light thing. It's, it's really carrying on so much reflection and physically having to adjust things. But it just really means like you're saying, like with Forsyth and, and Twyla, like the growth, the opportunity is so meaningful that it's better to be inside a process than staying still because okay. everything else is moving. The rest of the world is kind of going to move. And so you either, you either move with it or you don't, you know, and, and that's hard. And it's, and, but that doesn't mean that traditions and things that are part of one's history can't still be celebrated. And that's, I think what people think when you think that you're going to add new ideas or you're going to explore new things or try things new way that somehow you're going to also lose who you are and what you love about who you are. And I really believe that we can hold a lot of these spaces at the same time. I've seen a little bit of the piece and, as, and one section over and over again. And I'm, and I'm growing to like, really want to be um, in it. <laughs> so I'm, oh eager to, I'm eager to see more, but like, I, just, I, I watch myself watching the different dancers in it and, you know, getting to watch them repeat it and grow with it and dig into the ground with it and, and open up their bodies and yeah, it, I, it just, it, it's made me want to move. So I, I really, I, and I told you this and you were like, well, that's the idea, Wendy. <laughs> so, but, I mean, have you actually, you specifically? Well, I, I would die. I probably. love that. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not in a physical form to like explore Andrea Miller movement fully, but at the same time, I, I'm seeing what you are bringing out of the dancers and from the outside, I'm enjoying what I'm watching. And it feels good through my eyes into my body as a viewer. And it's definitely gonna continue growing in performance as it performs. It's like a flower. It's like, it'll bud on the opening night. And then each performance will start to, the essence will start to bloom more and more, which, which I'm very excited about seeing. Yeah. And um, yeah. Yeah. That's really nice. I mean, so yeah. much to me coming from you that, uh, that you see, you see something's happening um, in the space. And I'm really very, very excited myself about, you know, what is happening. I feel there's a lot to do before the gala. There's so much to rehearse and I still have two, um, two holes in the choreography, but we'll get there. It always does, right? You will get there. You'll get there. Buckle down, buckle up. You're just one foot in front of the other. Right. And just, you know, keep going. And, and I can't wait to see the premiere. Yeah, we're really excited to have you, Andrea, Thank with you. us. And um, really excited to see your voice on stage and your process with the dancers and 
to watch them see how they've grown and how you know their contributions to the work is is super important too and they're they're daring and their vulnerability that they're putting out there is is courageous and yeah i look i look forward to celebrating oh me yeah. too i'm yeah. I, i'm so grateful for this opportunity wendy and i'm oh. it means so much to me um and and to you know women i think choreographers to to have more opportunities like this it's so massive. And every day I walk into the studio, I really, I pinch myself. I feel so, so lucky to work with these brilliant artists in the room and that are, like you say, taking- They, they are brilliant. They really are. And watching them just take this, take the horns of this bull and ride and go with it and figure it out for themselves. It's really inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. So Andrea- we're going to meet for a real Joe soon and have more oh, coffee together. But um, thanks, thanks for this time and this great conversation and getting to know you and your process a little more is really, again, inspiring to yeah. us. So it's yeah. always a treat to talk to you, Wendy. I uh, love it. Thank you so much. Thanks, Andrea. I'll talk to you later. Get to the studio. Get yeah, in there, yeah, girl. Okay. I gotta go. <laughs> okay. 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 Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to City Ballet. To stay up to date on episode releases, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We hope to see you soon in the theater, so head over to nycballet.com to have a look at what's on stage.